Packers Daily with Jason Mertides. And welcome to your Monday, October 5th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. Hard to believe that if you go back 366 days ago, October 4th, 2019, that was the day that the 2019-20 NHL season began for the Philadelphia Flyers. A half a world away in the Czech Republic. It was a 4-3 win over the Chicago Blackhawks. That was just a year ago yesterday. Flyers just finished up, basically, their 2020 uh, campaign, playoff campaign, a couple weeks ago. Of course, the NHL was uh, handed out the Stanley Cup last week. The draft is coming up now tomorrow in October. And, of course, free agency will follow next week. As far as the draft goes, we will have live coverage for you on Flyers 24-7 radio. Uh, You can check that out with myself, Brian Smith, and Bill Meltzer. We'll be bringing you the entire first round. Yeah, live in its entirety, uh, coming up on Tuesday night, I think beginning around 7 or 7.30. And then on Wednesday, we'll bring you rounds 2 through 7. We'll be streaming that as well. Uh, that begins at 11.30 a.m. coming up on Wednesday morning, and Free Agent Frenzy will follow coming up next week. But uh, if you get a chance, make sure you check it out, tune in, and uh, we'll be breaking down the draft. A lot to talk about. And some interesting angles uh, with some teams in the division, in the conference, with multiple picks, including the New Jersey Devils who have three picks in the first round. How will the draft play out? Who will be there at 23 when the Flyers select? Will it be the son of our guest on this very episode of Flyers Daily as Scouts Week continues? Now, last week on Friday, on that episode, we brought you our first of three installments of Scouts Week. We talked with Joachim Grunberg, who is the Flyers' European amateur scout, on Friday's episode. If you missed it, go back and check that out. Very cool stuff uh, from Joachim on that episode. And then uh, in this episode, we'll talk to Mark Gregg, who actually played for the Flyers at one point in his NHL career. He ended up playing 30 games for the Flyers uh, and had five goals, seven assists, and 12 points uh, as a member of the Philadelphia Flyers. Been scouting for the team for a while now. His son, Ridley, is a projected first-round pick and a player that should be or may be available when the Flyers select a 23. And as you'll hear in this interview of my conversation with Mark Gregg, um, he basically wanted no parts of scouting his son and writing reports about his son. Uh, it's it, probably a conflicting day for Mark Gregg as uh, we enter into the draft coming up tomorrow where he'll be concentrating on his job and you know his evaluations of players for the Flyers to draft, but all while keeping an eye on that special moment for his son Ridley to get his uh, name called and become a draft pick of the National Hockey League. Mark Gregg was drafted back in 1990. He was a 15th overall pick of the Hartford Whalers, and he's our second guest on Scouts Week. Here's my conversation with Flyers scout Mark Gregg. Happy to have you join us right now on Flyers Daily. Scouts Week continues, and Flyers amateur scout Mark Gregg joins us. A former first-round pick of the Whale. The Hartford Whalers, man. I love that you were, you know, t- drafted uh, by the Whalers. When I see the hats and uh, the jerseys every now and then, it sure makes me reminisce. It was a pretty neat place to play for at that time. And uh, that jersey and emblem, it seems to uh, go forward. It's cool again, right? Like th- that emblem is cool. And I love the color scheme too. Yeah, the emblem was uh, kind of a neat piece of their identity and uh, the brass, brass bonanza that was played after every goal that kind of withstood the test of time. Those two things, uh, still a part of the identity for sure. Um, th- we're doing Scouts Week and I-, I love talking to you guys and I love that you guys, people can hear you talking. I- I've said this to a couple of the guys that I've spoken to. 
we always hear you guys reference as scouts, but we very rarely hear your words verbally. So it's great to have you on. Um, as a guy that, you know, scouts the area that you do, and we, you're in an interesting pickle barrel, which we'll get into in a couple of minutes regarding your son. Uh, but as you head into this and, you know, not being able to see, you know, Canadian major junior and a lot of the areas that you scout get to a playoff and kind of culminate their season. How much does that kind of impact where you rank guys? Because, you know, when you see players play in the biggest games of their season, that oftentimes is a big X factor for a player and maybe moving up or maybe he's not a big game player at that point in his you know, development. Well, it has impacted the overall evaluation. There's no question. Uh, the playoff time, like you say, when it matters most on big stages and intense moments, you can often learn about players and uh, their performance and, and how they prepare and, and so forth. So it's impacted this year, the overall evaluation, I would say. Uh, we've tried to recover uh, coverage through video and tried to handpick games that uh, maybe were rival games or intense games for whatever reasons at that time and, and monitor those. But uh, you try to use the resources you can to try to recover that playoff type scenario. But uh, I think it's a challenge. And the one positive, it's a level playing field. Every 31 team is trying to work through this as best they can to, to do the best job. Where's the, you know, watching on video um, is different because, you know, a lot of times video follows the puck and you want to see what a player does maybe away from the puck a bit. Um, where does it limit you and, and kind of what you can tell about a player uh, as, you, as you kind of really want to go detail work on them? Well, one effective thing we have in place now is to watch a prospect. We only get their shifts. So that's certainly efficient in the sense that, you know, a prospect plays 15 to 20 minutes. You can only dial into that. You have the ability to back up the shift, maybe pause the shift and break it down as best you can. So that's a positive. The challenge is you don't often see the full sheet of ice. Um, sometimes you can't quite make out all the players on the ice. And I do think, no question, you, you know, you lose a bit of that feel for the speed and the pace that's happening live. So it has its uh, challenges working through that as well. But uh, again, it, you know, it's a resource that can be effective. Um, if you've seen the player live several times already and using this as kind of a way to round out an evaluation and uh, build an overall analysis. When you look at the, a lot of, you know, the guys that you're scouting are young and they're, they're so different in, in a lot of ways because some guys have a bigger body or a bigger frame, more developed physically, whether they're an early birth year or even a late birth year, it doesn't matter. Um, and how that's going to transfer and how they're going to fill that body out. I mean, you got to look at their parents and see how their build is, all kinds of elements here. But, but what's kind of the common denominator that you look for when you're looking for a high pedigree town? Is it as simple as, you know, great skating is always something that's going to be a huge asset if you're going to be a high pedigree player. Yeah, I would certainly say skating now when you watch the National Hockey League, it's fast, it's quick, and there's a lot of agility in its play. So skating is definitely uh, one of the components that we break down and it is often talked about. But I think sense and skill are probably the two most significant pieces that we try to decipher and work through and how it will translate and how it will project going forward, uh, probably the most. And, you know, throughout the course of a year, uh, you're always cognizant of where the player's playing, who they're playing against, who they're playing with, what are they going through at that part of the schedule to try to help yourself through a game. But I think when you're talking about the, the two most important components, uh, sense and skill usually surfaces the two primary. 
and the hockey IQ, if a guy can skate, but doesn't know where to go, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. <Exactly. laughs> you got to know where to be. You'll take the guy who knows where to be, especially in your D zone. Uh, let me ask you this because, you know, the NHL has kind of gone through a bit of a, you know, a transformation over the past couple of years. And, you know, it's a youth movement. Um, size is not what it used to be. You don't need to be this big hulking guy anymore. You see, young guys coming into the league that are, are super skilled to your point with guys like Mitch Marner and, and many others um, have come into this league and had success. Braden point. Uh, what, what, did you kind of see this coming for the NHL before we saw it at the NHL level? Because you're seeing it in the junior and, and the lower levels as, as the players are coming towards the, the top league in the world. I, I do think I sensed it. And mm-hmm. I also was hopeful. Uh, I do think that there's the fan out there that maybe misses the rugged, um, clutch and grab type play. But for me, I think we have a faster game. I think we have a better game. Uh, I think it allows skilled players to do more. So uh, I kind of sensed it coming and you could see it coming up through the youth now in the programs. The kids spend so much time on skill where back in the day, the resources maybe weren't there or weren't available. And, uh, skill development now is really taken over at the grassroots. So the type of players that are coming through now, uh, the skill level continues to rise. And uh, again, I, I think it's made for a better game. And you look at it and that skill you talk about, so many of the, the kids growing up, they have skills coaches at 12, 13, 14 years old. It's crazy the things they're able to do at such a young age. They watch YouTube videos of NHL players and things they do, and then they, they break it down and they add it to their game at a very young age. Um, but we did see with the Cup this year in Tampa Bay winning it, they had to add a little bit of grit. They had to add a little sandpaper to their lineup. And, you know, you look at last year, too, St. Louis is a team that had to have that element to win it. So you can – well, you can have all that skill in a regular season and it'll get you a lot of points. In the playoffs, you still need that element, don't you? Yeah, no question. And I think it's it's shown uh, over the, you know, last four or five years. Uh, skill will often get you there. But the combination of grit and physicality and strength uh, at playoff time when you get into a grind of a seven-game series and you're lining up against the same players game in and game out and have to endure four rounds, uh, there's no question that, uh, you know, you have to have that component to add to it. And uh, I think that's kind of the blueprint uh, that's starting to surface more and more. As a guy who skates, you know, scouts that area that you do in the Western and, and you know, looking at goalies out there and you look at Carter Hart and comes in so young into this league. And there's always been this theory, Mark, that goalies need to ripen. Sometimes maybe you've wasted a couple of years of first when they're a little bit cheaper and waiting for them to get to the NHL at 25 or 26. Is that changing now? Are goalies more ready as you scout them to make the jump through the levels quicker than maybe before? I do think that trend is slowly surfacing. Uh, the goaltending journey, uh, it is a long one and it's a bit of a roller coaster and we've seen that time and time again. That being said, I do think as we move forward now, again, with the, how young kids are single sporting and of course, like you mentioned, the resources that they have available, that they really build their skill set. Now they have the mental component where they use coaches to, you know, learn how to manage uh, wins and losses and a game where you're pulled or a game where you've had a ton of success. So, Again, the, the young athlete certainly has uh, a lot more resources in place to build up his uh, overall game and his mental approach, which uh, you know, gives him a better chance. You were taken in the 1990 draft. Um, you and I are roughly the same age. Um, when you look back at when you were heading into your draft year, 
and all the players that you played with, you know, coming up to get to that point, and you look at the players. Now, what's the biggest difference between players developing towards uh, NHL draft eligible when you played and, and now 30 years later? Well, I think the skill level's higher, like we talked about overall. Uh, I think that players are more well-rounded. Uh, I think for a time there, uh, a single component could maybe get you to the National League. I think they're better coached now uh, as far as understanding game management and, and specialty teams and, and so forth. So I think it's allowed the overall player to have a, a more complete game, I guess you could say. Uh, I don't think the coaching when I came through was at the level that it is now and certainly didn't have the resources from a skill component or a mental component or, or even the physical training now. Uh, you know, it's so sports-specific to hockey um, that I think the athletes are uh, – their training translates to the ice a lot better too, which uh, you know, maybe gives them an advantage. As a parent, were you more of a proponent of playing other sports besides hockey? I know Wayne Gretzky's talked about it. He said, you know, in March the hockey bag would go away and I'd go play baseball, and, and that helped him. Uh, were you a proponent of that? I grew up in that era as well myself. I was a baseball player and a swimmer outside of hockey. So I carried that forward into my kids. Uh, they all played multiple sports until I felt the threshold uh, kind of determined that they had to go in one way. But uh, yeah, I am a proponent of multi-sporting. Uh, I think it's great for a lot of different reasons. And uh, I think we may see it start to come back into play um, as, a, as opposed to single sporting so young, maybe kids could extend uh, multiple sports for a little bit longer period and then ultimately uh, pick a route. Uh, would you have preferred this NHL draft to just happen in June <laughs> at this point? Uh, yeah. Now you're right up against it. You're on the, you know, you're on the precipice of finally getting this thing in the books. It was supposed to happen in June in a normal circumstance, but it is what it is. How, how do you feel now with it being so delayed? Well, it's been interesting because we've, uh, had ample time now to review and review. And I, I think sometimes you can talk yourself into different scenarios without having the player in front of you where you've optically built an overall evaluation. Uh, the other uh, hurdle that's kind of came into play uh, somewhat is we have Europeans that are still draft eligible that are playing games right now that we're evaluating, but yet we don't, we have players in maybe the Western league or the Ontario league that aren't playing. So uh, when you see a European maybe this week do something significant uh, it's not really a level playing field because we have kids in North America that aren't playing. So we've had to kind of manage that and, uh, and work through it a little bit. Uh, uh, again, I think June would have probably been better for the scouting industry, yeah. but uh, we've all had to adapt. And again, it's a level playing field for everybody. So we'll all work through it together. There's a, you, know, you don't want to let that recency bias mess you all up. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, you know, what you see, you always see what you see. So uh, it can impact you and, uh, uh, it's been a bit of a challenge. You know, players that are draft eligible too, they can transform their bodies very quickly. They're at that age where, you know, they're becoming, you know, trying to put on man muscle and, and, and you know, really those are important years to developing the frame that they're going to carry into being a pro. Um, eventually, if that's, if that's the arc they're on, have you been checking in with guys that you, you know, you really, you know, kind of looked a lot at and you guys are considering and, kind of seeing where they are, how they handled this pandemic, whether they were able to get on the ice or just really in the gym as well to see what they accomplished during this period of time from June until now? Well, great question, because it's been interesting. Uh, of course, before the June draft, 
in a normal year, we would have the NHL combine and that allows us to get all that data anatomically, physically, and also our strength and conditioning coaches, if we choose, can go in and visually watch the testing and get a real good look at the player and the athlete and, you know, help build that overall diagnosis or analysis on the player. So haven't had that in place either. So what we've done is exactly what you said. We've spoke with a lot of trainers in this area, monitored growth, strength, weight gain, uh, talked about their individual programs, their shortcomings, their strengths, and uh, tried to really, you know, build that into the overall evaluation uh, and work through it as best we can. Um, when you look at the crop that you got to look at this year and uh, for consideration for you guys at varying points of this draft, what's, uh, what's the group looking like? Is, is it a strong group coming from your region uh, that are entering this draft? I mean, some years you're going to have a dearth. Like you look at last year, the NCDP was outrageous, high-end talent. Uh, what, what's, your, what's your area looking like as we head into this 2020 you know, NHL draft? I see a good draft, uh, this crop. Uh, I see anywhere around the 15 threshold where I think you get good, solid impact players. And then I still think there's depth in behind there where you can fill out, uh, you know, your team in, in maybe roles. And then, of course, there's always your wild card players that, uh, you know, are selected for different reasons at different times. How will they go through? But uh, I think overall it's a, it's a solid draft and uh, there's players there. Uh, when you look at, you know, you look at the, the NHL and that often influences youth players so much coming up and you see guys like Kale McCarr, or Quinn Hughes, and we've seen the NHL defensive position become so offensive with such gifted players. Uh, and, you know, maybe the, the great scorers aren't just forwards now all of a sudden and dynamic players. I, I don't recall ever a time where we see so many just incredibly talented offensive defensemen that can play at both ends. Uh, are you seeing that starting to affect who's coming and we, we have McCarr and Quinn Hughes now that you're not going to see that effect yet, but Carlson and, and guys that kind of preceded him. Yeah, I do think there's a trend there for sure. Uh, we touched on it earlier, you and I skating. I mean, these McCarr and Hughes mm. and Heiskanen and Dallas, these guys are elite skaters, uh, of course, above and beyond having sense and skill. So for young blue liners that are watching these guys, they try to uh, simulate and, and be the same player that, you know, they choose to be. So, I think that also the coaches are attacking with five a lot more as opposed to uh, handing the offense off to the forwards. So uh, young players with good coaches are getting the green light to, to embrace that opportunity to be a part of the offense. And of course, as long as they can keep the defensive uh, end you know, intact, uh, it can't be a wild stallion out there, but if you can pick and choose your right spots, um, I think we're going to see offense from the back end going forward uh, more and more. Makes for a really exciting game. Um, the draft for, for scouts, for, uh, you know, front offices is always a stressful time. Um, you know, you, you put in so much work to get to this point. Um, but this is a different one for you. Um, you've got a son. And he's ranked up there. And I know that it's difficult to separate being a father and being the hockey man. And you, you want to enjoy this for him as well. What's that been like with Ridley? as he prepares for this NHL entry draft and how much is he kind of going to you for counsel? Well, a unique situation for sure. Uh, spoke with Chuck and Brent early uh, prior to the season and uh, we have a job to do. Mentioned that I wasn't really comfortable uh, writing reports on my son and uh, they were okay with that. So I kind of removed myself from that standpoint and let the uh, staff do their job 
So they've built an overall evaluation and, and implemented him into the list as to where they feel he best fits. Uh, so that was easy for me to step back and, uh, like recused yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, aside from that, I, I've enjoyed, I just enjoyed watching them play. Uh, they had another first round pick on that team, potentially Braden Schneider. So I, I had to get coverage and it, it allowed me to see Ridley, uh, enough where I got a feel for his game and how he was growing. I, he's really well coached and Brandon with Dave Lowry and Don McGilvery. Uh, so I didn't really talk a whole lot of hockey with him as far as uh, tactics or strategics. Uh, I, I do share with him when he asks questions uh, you know, about the offensive side of the game. Cause I think kids really enjoy that. But outside of that uh, I've been able to help him with the roller coaster ride of emotion, which can happen with a young player. Uh, just being a former player and living that. And I think it's uh, enabled him to have a, a level-headed, uh, balanced approach. You can probably remember back when your name was called and you were drafted, as we alluded to in the very beginning, uh, being taken by the Hartford Whalers um, and, and kind of the pride you feel in, in yourself to get to having that happen. What's the pride going to feel like when you hear your son's name called, whether it's for the Flyers or anybody? Well, it's, it's different. <laughs> the excitement's starting to ramp up now, uh, of course, for our family. I mean, we've all uh, got to watch him play his minor hockey journey and then now, of course, in the Western League. Uh, so it's an exciting time for our family. There's no question. Uh, we are quite proud of him, the way he plays, and the way he carries himself. So uh, it'll be a unique day, and uh, I'll be in Philly doing my job, but I think most of the family's going to uh, take in the day with him here, and uh, I know he's looking forward to it as well. Yeah, what a moment that'll be uh, for your family. And uh, we'll see where he lands. And um, we just hope he doesn't land with, the, you know, Pittsburgh or the, the Devils <laughs> yeah. or the Rangers or stuff. Well, Rangers are taking the top overall pick. But um, yeah. what, what a day that'll be. Um, let me Last question for you, Mark, because, um, you know, I, I, I've asked a lot of guests this. You know, the game is given so much to so many people. You're a guy that played in the game, played at the pro level, and now you see how the game has shaped y- your son. Um, what, what has the game meant to you as you know, and your family? I've been fortunate to, uh, I played for 17 years and I've been scouting for, I guess this will be my 15th year. So for me, it's really given me everything. I played junior hockey here in Lethbridge, which uh, allowed me an opportunity to get off the farm and, uh, kind of explore where hockey could take me. I met my wife here in Lethbridge, who's, uh, now we have three kids. So it's given me that. And from a playing standpoint, the, the challenges that you live in day in and day out, I, th- I think it's molded into me, uh, me into a guy that can, you know, problem solve and work through things with a level head and, uh, and also learn to face adversity. So it's been a huge part of my life. And uh, I think for my son, some of the insight that I can share with him away from the rink, uh, I think will help him on his journey. So a uh, significant piece to my life for sure. And uh, so fortunate to still be in the game and, and meet so many good people, work for so many good people too, as well, including the Flyers organization, which has been exceptional. That's uh, tremendous. Uh, hey, Mark, I appreciate you doing this. It's great to hear from the scouts here on Scouts Week. Uh, best of luck coming up with the entry draft. Best of luck to Ridley and uh, his draft day experience. We appreciate this and we'll talk to you soon.
Awesome. Great visiting. Thanks again. Special thanks to Mark Gregg for joining us on this episode of Flyers Daily. On Wednesday's episode, we'll talk to Nick Pryor, who covers the USHL collegiate ranks and uh, is based out of Minnesota. And you'll get to hear that conversation coming up on Wednesday's episode. Uh, Some Flyers news real quick as well. Brian Elliott re-up with the team for another one-year contract uh, at $1.5 million. So the moose is back. I love it. Uh, I was a guy that stumped for Brian Elliott to come back last year and uh, be a part of that tandem with a young goaltender like Carter Hart. I'm a firm believer that uh, with a really young goaltender like Carter Hart, it's better to have a veteran as his tandem or his partner uh, in that role. And Brian Elliott will be back once again for another year with the Philadelphia Flyers. That's going to put a wrap on this episode of Flyers Daily. We'll talk to you on Wednesday's episode. And again, be sure to check out our live coverage of the NHL Draft on Flyers Radio 24-7 coming up tomorrow night. Thanks for listening.